This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Monday, 9th of January, 2023. What a day on Friday with this ISM services survey, far weaker than expected. And that followed a somewhat mixed jobs report. There's actually some glass half full data there. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, I suppose. But pretty strong uh, day, to say the least. We closed uh, towards the highs, and, and you could say the, the bar on Friday engulfing several of the prior day's action. Market, of course, celebrating bad data, as we've become used to here. So the implication being at this ISM services survey, which is just one data point, is supposed to be indicating a slowing services sector. That is the key narrative that the Fed has uh, discussed with its portion of inflation that it is most concerned about being on the services side. So when you get a weak services survey, having a additional impact there, that combined with the fact that the, although it was a mixed jobs report, that weaker than expected average hourly earnings sort of doubling down on that uh, the narrative, if you will, within that single day and, and that single data dump we saw on Friday. So U.S. yields sharply lower, equity markets sharply higher. Uh, I guess the usual suspects, Peter, were, were pretty strong on the day, the high beta stuff, enjoying that, that big uh, drop in U.S. yields. Yeah, that was really the reaction function that we saw. All the, as you say, you can see it on the theme baskets, uh, really uh, good moves across the, the high beta spectrum. And year to date, still e-commerce traveled, really got a boost as well in the past two trading sessions of last week. Um, some Chinese names in there that are rallying, of course. Uh, fuel costs are coming down. The household seems pretty resilient at this point. And then we also have the Chinese consumer technology. And we will be talking about semiconductors because they got a boost of 4%. And they potentially could carry carry on um, in today's trashing session because of some decisions that have been made in Taiwan. Uh, but we will discuss that later in the podcast. But otherwise, I think the main signal for me, John, is that you know, ISM, these labor market data, I think the, the noise level in these data points are excessive at this point in time. I, I would be very cautious about interpreting too much. Be a little bit more like a trader if you want to to play on this short term and think of more about, uh, as a trader than, than an investor. I think the I think the implications on uh, on inflation and where we are on the on the economic cycle, all of these things are very, very, very difficult to predict, which is, is partly due to models being very difficult to um to use in this environment. Uh, hence our, our Q1 outlook, which will be about broken models. But then that's for another day. But I, I think it's just um go with the flow. And I think momentum here is with the S P five hundred. So maybe that's um that first level you have shown there on the on on slide two, John. Um but I think I have 30, 39.50-ish as sort of the level if momentum extends here. So uh, yeah, let's I see. We're... In, yeah, I just put in a Fibonacci retracement there. It's around that level anyway, and, and the prior range, though, is around that 39.50 area. So yeah, let's call it 39.50 to 4,000 would be the key sort of pivot zone here if this rally is supposed to mean anything. Just very briefly, I think we want to get onto that one-day action around options as well that we discussed following up on that on Friday. I think it was very interesting to see what happened there. But just for those that want to take a glass a glass half full approach to this data point um, or these jobs reports data points from Friday, we saw the average hourly earnings dropping. Some would would say that uh, you know a lot of these new jobs that are being created could be in the services sector and if you have the lower paying sort, which could help to water down the average hourly earnings gains because you have uh, lower wages being averaged into the mix. Uh, but but it's also just there's a lot of data and a lot of assumptions in these data points. And then I think uh, the one interesting thing that I would also pull out there, the headline non-farm payrolls was essentially as expected because there was a slight negative revision. So the slight beat on the month on month or, or the latest month was was not really notable. 
was that the fact that the unemployment rate dropped to the 3.5%, back to that cycle low and really modern era low since I believe it was the late 1960s, and that was despite a rise in the participation rate. So we were supposed to believe, those of us that were pessimists about the U.S. labor market, that this household survey was the real one, and it's been showing weakness for quite some months. Well, suddenly this survey is, is very, very strong. So we're still far from uh, having a uh, anything conclusive uh, on the U.S. economy on the negative side. But for whatever it's worth, the market liked this report. We did get the big drop in U.S. Treasury yields. I put the two charts up on slide three, the two-year on the left, 10-year on the right. Still within the range, but it is very high momentum move, and we need to watch that. Uh, we're not going to get any follow-on data that's of import this week, except for uh, the U.S. CPI report on Thursday. So that'll be interesting to see what that reports. We'll all become accustomed to far less uh, hot inflation data. So is there much built into expectations there? But I, I really want to roll forward briefly to discuss and follow up on what we talked about on Friday. That was with these one-day uh, zero day to expiry options, so-called. So every single day you have these options expiring uh, on the U.S. S&P 500 futures. These are very popular, very heavily traded by also institutional money. And it's just to give you an impression of why people are punting in this space. There is some indication that people are doing it because uh, there are a risk, a sort of margin requirement and risks metrics internally that they can avoid by not having to report these because these are expiring before the end of the day and the risk reporting goes in at the end of the day. But whatever, just look at uh, the table I put up there on slide four. So I discussed, I think it was a 3940 strike on, on Friday, but more interesting was one of the most heavily traded on the day there, the 3900 calls on the S&P March future. And I snapped this shot. Uh, I took a snapshot here five minutes before the ISM services release. And because of the sort of... Um, muted volatility after the U.S. mixed jobs report, the the price had actually fallen 70% on that 3,900 call. So apparently it was trading $4 plus. The, uh, the jobs report was not a huge surprise. So a lot of implied volatility came out of the market and the market wasn't moving much. Well, by the end of the day, the because of the weak ISM, the market traded as high as 39.28. So the P&L swing went from 425 down to around 125 and by the end of the day, one could have realized $20 plus on this option. So a change intraday from this snapshot of on the order of 2,000%. Just gives you an indication of why people are trading these things. They're kind of a P&L. Of course, you can also go to zero as many of these options expired worthless. But that is the dynamics. Those are the intraday dynamics you can face when trading these things for better or worse. All right, Ola, we need to go to your space as well because we saw a big dollar reaction we also have, uh, Peter uh, briefly alluded to it in his comments, so this huge policy pivot in China ongoing, getting just increasing signs of that in the FX space that has led to a stronger uh, Chinese yuan, a stronger Australian dollar, hopes for Chinese uh, exports, et cetera. And in your space, big moves in metals here. So what's going on and uh, what are we looking at here? Yeah, metal space is most certainly uh, alive and kicking here at the start of the, the new year. Uh, not only the investment metals, which uh, um, you could argue is being lifted by some more cautionary outlook for, for the coming year, but also industrial metals based on what's happening in China. But let's take a look at gold first here on slide six. Um, we did. Uh, we were looking for some consolidation uh, that uh, proved short-lived as we raised higher following that uh, weak ISM number on Friday. We, as you can see on the chart now, we are approaching that key level around the, just below 1900. It's also the upper end of potential of a potential potential challenge. So, uh, channel. So, 
So that's really where resistance is going to come in. But what we're seeing underlying is uh, is, is improvement in, in the demand outlook. ETF buyers had had the first back-to-back week of buying uh, during the past two weeks. As you can see on the on the right-hand side there, we, we, we saw that weeks and weeks on end last year where we just saw constant selling of uh, ETFs, just holdings continue to come down. And now we, we're, we're starting to see some back-to-back buying. That also ties in with uh, with central banks uh, being being more active. We already know that uh, by third quarter last year, we re- central banks picked up a record amount of, of gold. That obviously would have continued into the th- fourth quarter. And we see that now by, especially by the Chinese central bank, the PBOC has now picked up 62 tons in November and December in total. And that is obviously a significant amount of, of gold that you remove them from the market, considering when you look at the the change that we're seeing in in terms of tonnage on the ETF holdings, so that's uh, that's that's worth a, a pay. that's obviously something the market is paying attention to because this this gold is not coming back to the market anytime soon. At the same time, speculators uh, in the futures market are holding the biggest long in seven months, so momentum is there. How far can it uh, go at this point? Well, as I said, keep an eye on that nineteen hundred level. And if we just just uh, finish off the the metal space, because obviously China, as you've said, John, is receiving a lot of attention. There's most certainly been a seismic shift in the uh, in the approach to uh, uh, the economic outlook or the economy in, in China uh, during the past couple of months. Whatever lies behind it uh, is uh, is up for speculation. But uh, what we're seeing now is the Chinese economy, much or Chinese government, much more inclined to support uh, the economy. We're seeing some of the uh, initiatives on the property sector property market last week uh, which uh, did give a copper boost but then on friday again with the dollar weakening with the um with that week as um, we finally broke above that 200 day moving average and and we are now really challenging that four dollar level that is key i i should have extended chart here on slide seven just to so you can see how important that was because for more than a year we were finding support at that four dollar level before we finally tanked below in june july last year when lockdowns continued and now we're back to testing it so that's really important and from a speculative interest um investors right now or hedge funds right now they have holding quite a small long so they're not really prepared for any further upside at this point all right, rolling back a little bit to that FX slide on slide five, just wanted to point out that the Aussie move is really important here. So we've seen a big <clears throat> weakening of the dollar with these U.S. rates coming in lower after that Friday data point, uh, whether that reaction is warranted or not. I think it's a really key test this week with the U.S. CPI and after this big technical break in some areas, especially for Aussie dollar, as you can see on slide five, not only did we break above a new local high above that prior pivot high, sort of just below 69, but it's the 200-day moving, moving average that's falling here. There are a couple of prior tests, as you can see on the chart there. So we have strong momentum in Aussie around this China China opening up story. Uh, is it a panic move? Will it engender the kind of follow-on strength that the market is clearly hoping for here? Or is this a, or not? And this is a sign of desperation. And actually, I think the latter is eventually, in terms of what the potential growth rate is for China, after so much malinvestment, we're not going back to the old growth model there. So that's one of those broken models we'll be talking about as well in the Q1 outlook. But of course, in the short term, this can certainly drive uh, the markets. And we're seeing, as you can see on the uh, momentum readings on the FX board there, that the Chinese currency is uh, the strongest uh, relative to the rest of the G10 with Aussie hot on its heels. The dollar rolling over into pretty distinctly negative territory, almost a minus two reading. And we saw a lot of pop on Friday in all of the sort of pro-cyclical currencies with the hopes of an easing Fed, or at least a decelerating Fed on the tightening front, and eventually this policy response, uh, meaning a better growth globally. All right, let's uh, go back to you, Peter, because there are a lot of interesting things going on in the equity markets. 
and we're gearing up for earnings season. But uh, what's your focus as we're coming into a new week here? Yeah, I have mentioned three three things in stocks to watch today on slide eight. So the first one being Tesla. The news flow remains toxic. We've seen several Chinese buyers of EVs being very angry at uh, some of their showrooms because, because of the sequence of discounts, meaning that some were some didn't get the latest discounts and they're getting very angry and that's floating on social media obviously taking a, a hit to the brand value there of tesla in, in china they're also now beginning to discount heavily discount i would say their uh, singapore inventory that's news and then the big thing so the chips war which is a recently new book is really full on here so i put in tsmc but you could put in the entire semiconductor industry as i mentioned in the beginning of the podcast so taiwan has just passed its chips act which will allow uh, local semiconductor manufacturers, including TSMC being the largest one, to get a 25%, sorry, getting a tax, tax credit, so not paying taxes, on twenty up to 25% of their R&D. And that's to, uh, you know, rem- it, it, the, uh, the, the law or the, the rules are to keep in place the competitiveness of, the, of this industry because Europe and the U.S. is now trying to build up their own supply chain. So, so Taiwan, the government there is doing everything they can to, to keep knowledge and manufacturing capabilities in Taiwan. But it's a race to the zero because it's about, uh, it's about an existential threat for the EU and the U.S. It's about self-preservation. We've talked about this before. It's the change in globalization will be the theme as well in our Q1 outlook. So if, if Taiwan is doing this and that shift the competitiveness as slightly in their favor, the EU and U.S. will just do more. I don't know. Maybe it ends up that uh, if you're a semiconductor company, you're ending up not paying taxes at all. Uh, the complete opposite of an oil company in Europe where you pay uh, you know, a 75% high marginal tax rate on your profits. And then U.S. banking stocks, of course, and it's a lead into the next slide as well. So on Friday, we have big banking earnings. Expectation is for earnings to be negative again. There's a big hit, of course, uh, to the bond portfolio. Uh, investment banking, including trading activity, is still slowing down. All these things potentially a little bit more um, uh, uh, um, so money being set aside for uh, for potential souring of the credit quality as well. Uh, but the expectation, I just looking, I was looking at the expectation this morning, is still that U.S. banks will resume to growth in Q1 and beyond. And as I said in our, in our internal call, if you believe in a structurally higher inflationary level and interest rate level let's say over an entire economic cycle of seven years, which actually match the average duration in a credit portfolio for a bank and the overall debt load in the global economy. Then as we roll the loan book, even if you have zero growth in in loans, just the fact that you keep your balance sheet at the current level and you roll over a seven-year period onto these new interest rates, that for a bank like Danske Bank here in Denmark, I was calculating that, then it could mean a doubling of net revenue with no increase in the balance sheet. It gives you sort of, and that's over a five to seven year period. So it gives you sort of a sense of the potential growth rate on net income for, for financials and banks. Um, I know we have we had a little bit discussion about what is the actual long-term uh, view on banks. Uh, I don't know, I, maybe I'm not as clear as Steen is uh, about that maybe banks are going away. I, I haven't really thought that through yet, but I think as a sort of a tactical play in a portfolio, both you know a tilt towards value stocks, but also against, uh, and also play on this higher uh, inflation and interest rates, I really think the banking industry is potentially a way to play it. And I would say on a, on a, on a closing remark here that 
I would prefer to do it with the U.S. banks because I think the setup in in Europe is, is slightly less rosy due to a different regulatory regime. So um, that's my thoughts on <clears throat> on stocks today and and the week ahead on in terms of earnings. Okay, and then on the macro calendar again, that U.S. CPI print will be the key focus this week. I don't think it has the kind of energy we've seen in previous months. We saw the crazy pump and dump in the November CPI release last uh, on, on December thirteenth, as we covered uh, quite extensively last week. But uh, who knows? Of course, if it was hot on the hot side of things, that would be sitting very uncomfortably with how the market is positioned here, especially after Friday's data. But um, that's the key one on Thursday. Today, a few things out and a few, a couple of Fed speakers, uh, non-voters in this case. Uh, it was interesting to see on Friday that we had a whole bunch of uh, Fed speakers out and generally just, you know, this the same refrain on the need to continue with their hawkish stance here. So. Uh, is the market uh, marking the, the Fed correctly here or not? I think it's going to take some more data before we know the answer to that question. Canadian uh, building permits, it's kind of interesting. We saw a strong jobs report out of Canada, and uh, the pressure on the housing market is has to be tremendous uh, for the cycle at some point in Canada. But some of the data is quite mixed there uh, in terms of uh, housing starts. I've been surprised how how well some of, the, some of those data points have held up. But I'm curious, it's probably the most sensitive economy to uh, any slowdown in construction and slowdown and reversal in housing prices. Uh, and then, yeah, really not much else to, to celebrate or look at, forward to this week. And I think it'll be interesting to see the earnings reports uh, probably as a primary indicator on where companies are seeing uh, their profit margins and seeing the demand outlook. Uh, and that's going to take a, a while to unfold, getting into the next uh, two weeks before we're really getting to the heart of things. So uh, we'll see where uh, that takes us. We'll see if this uh, market reaction we saw on Friday, if there's any follow on or if it comes to an abrupt halt, as we've seen so many times. And we'll be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>